that psalm. Psalm 24 has been interpreted throughout the history of the church as prophetic of the ascension of our Lord Jesus. He is that one with a pure heart and clean hands who is able to ascend the Lord's holy hill. And so the everlasting doors of God's heavenly temple are opened for him. The king of glory comes in. That's what we uh, sing of there in that psalm, and also what we read of now in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, Luke's two accounts of the ascension of Christ. In um, Psalm 24, we are uh, given a, a picture of the ascension from heaven's perspective. Um, now in Luke 24, we're given a picture of that same ascension from earth's perspective. We read beginning at verse 44. We're speaking of Jesus. It says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance... And remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. The um, gospel, according to Luke, was uh, volume one of Luke's two-volume work of Luke and Acts. And so we'll read now from his second volume where he again notes the importance of the ascension, Acts chapter 1, read verses 1 through 11. Luke writes, the former account, I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? 
this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. We'll read those two passages in connection with Lord's Days 18 and 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Or portions of them. I'd like to read questions 46 and then 49 through 51. It's on pages 879 and 880. In the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal, question 46 asks, What do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven? That Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Question 49, how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his Spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. The Spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. And it asks, why the next word? And sits at the right hand of God. Christ ascended to heaven there to show that he is head of his church, the one through whom the Father governs all things. Question 51. How does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. It's interesting there how the Catechism gives us six questions to deal with the ascension of Christ, whereas if you think about this in the context of the instruction that we're being given in the Catechism, think about the resurrection, for instance, just before this, is given just one question, suggesting that the Apparently, the ascension is, is um, somewhat of, of a big deal. And yet you would hardly know that from looking at the importance this event is given in the modern church, or perhaps even from looking at the, the attendance at most Ascension Day services. But, but historically, this event is, is viewed as the completion of Christ's earthly ministry. This is no mere exclamation point or addendum to the resurrection, but this is a redemptively significant event in its own right. And we see this from the way that, that Luke emphasizes the importance of the ascension and making it the, the hinge between his two volumes. And perhaps you've watched the show before where, where um, the next week as a new episode starts, it, it begins by saying uh, last time on whatever the, the show is, is called, and then it, it gives you a little synopsis of these significant events from, from the last episode. It highlights the most significant things that happened. And Luke does something very much like that as he, he starts volume two, book of Acts, in the same place where volume one ends with the ascension of Jesus. In fact, it's more than, than just him telling us this is really important, don't forget that it happened, but, but Luke is, is also making the point that this event, the ascension of Christ, is the link between Christ's earthly ministry among us and his continued ministry from heaven. 
One of the most important lines in the whole book of Acts is in Acts 1.1, where it, it says in volume 1, O Theophilus, I, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day of his ascension, implying that what he's about to write about what Jesus um, is doing um, after his ascension, that it's, it's still Christ who's at work. And so perhaps rather than calling it the Acts of the Apostles, maybe a more fitting name for this book might be the, the Acts of the Ascended Lord Jesus. That, that's certainly the point that Luke is making in this opening verse. So the ascension is the, the connector between what Christ accomplished in his earthly ministry and what he continues to do in his incarnate heavenly ministry. As we often think about Christ's redemptive work along the lines of, of his three offices as prophet, priest, and king, I want to take that same approach this afternoon and, and see how Luke in these two passages shows us the priestly work of the ascended Christ the royal work of the ascended Christ and the prophetic work of the ascended Christ. Now look at me first at the ending of the book of Luke where we see Jesus as the ascended priest. Luke makes this point in the way that he emphasizes how Christ, while he ascends, uh, raises his hands and blesses his people. In fact, if you, you look at, at the language there, you, you notice that he, he says it twice. After introducing it with that, that phrase in verse 50 about lifting up his hands, he's, he's alluding here to Leviticus chapter 9, where the high priest Aaron would, would lift up his hands toward the people and bless them. Jesus is here doing the same thing that the priest in Leviticus 9 would do as he ascends into his heavenly temple. And Jesus is signaling here that he is the priest. In fact, it's, it's interesting the way that the book of Luke began was with another priest in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, you remember, was chosen to go into the temple and to burn incense. Yet while he was in there doing that, he became mute and therefore would have been unable to pronounce the blessing that would ordinarily have, have accompanied the incense offering. And so the book begins with the unfinished liturgy of a priest who could not offer the blessing and now ends with Jesus taking the place of that priest and every priest and, and finishing what Zechariah could not. Christ is the priest who pronounces the blessing on his people, who does what those old covenant priests could not truly and ultimately do. Um, Zechariah is, is symbolic of, of the old covenant and, and incompleteness of the ministry of those priests, but Christ comes and, and finishes what they could not Jesus is the fulfillment of the priestly office. He is the fulfillment of all that the priests did. They offered sacrifices on behalf of the people, so Christ offers himself. They would bless the people after that sacrifice to show the, the peace and forgiveness that that sacrifice provided, so Christ offers a blessing to signal the, the finality of his sacrifice and, and the finality of what it's accomplished. Back in Leviticus chapter 9, when Aaron would offer the blessing, the response of the people was to fall on their faces. Luke 24, the, the response is, is a, a bit different. It says they, they worship him and return to Jerusalem with great joy. There's a difference between the way the, the Old 
Testament believers and the, the disciples of Jesus received the benediction because Christ is the, the fulfillment of it. To quote one theologian, Kelly Capick, he says, Whereas Aaron could lift his hands and, and pray for God's face to shine upon his people, in seeing Jesus ascending into the heavens, these believers saw the actual face of God shining. While they had, had heard of God's graciousness, now they see him who is gracious. While they had, had held out for, for God's lifted countenance, now they saw it actualized. While they had longed for the peace promised in that benediction, now they knew him who is peace. The great high priest came and not only pronounced the benediction, but he became the benediction. And here that the medium is the mediator, and thus he, he is not to be looked beyond, but rather looked to. Those who saw the, the ascension witnessed the personification of Aaron's benediction in Jesus Christ. He fulfills all that the priests sought to do. He offers his own body as a sacrifice. He, he blesses his people. He prays for them. And he wants to signal to them on his way in to his heavenly temple that his priestly work on their behalf has not ceased, but has only just begun. There he will go into the true heavenly temple to mediate our worship. There he will pray for us interceding at the Father's right hand. There he will communicate his blessing to us by his Spirit, and there he will plead his nail-pierced hands before the Father so that when we have sinned for the umpteenth time and our, our sin demands God's justice, he might step into the presence of his Father and say, don't be angry with them. You have already directed your wrath at me. Your sins are pardoned which his outstretched, nail-pierced hands here in Luke 24 become the assurance of. Like the rainbow in Genesis chapter 9, a picture of God's grace toward us. Christ continues to minister for us as priest, even from heaven. Question 49, he is our advocate in the presence of the Father. Praying for us, pleading the merits of his blood for us and communicating God's blessing to us. Just think about that. What is Jesus Christ doing right now? He's praying for us. He is not embarrassed by his people, but he proudly represents us as the God-man before his Father. Like the priests of old, he, he wears you as jewels on his breastplate. He is your advocate when you sin. Though his sacrifice has already been made, and there are no more sacrifices in heaven, it, it is nevertheless the place of, of continual sacrificial presentation where he presents before God the, the sacrifice once offered. He is in the holy of holies and is pleading his perfect sacrifice. Just as the priest would offer the blessing, saying, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Christ becomes the blessing and reminds us of it every week as he mediates our worship and sends us out with that priestly benediction. Christ is still ministering from heaven as our priest. And yet he is not only ministering as our priest, but also as our king. Luke ends his first volume emphasizing the priestly ministry of Christ from heaven. 
But as he starts his second volume in Acts chapter 1, he emphasizes Christ's royal office, that the ascended priest is also the ascended king. Boys and girls, do you remember that passage that I read at the very beginning of our service from, from Daniel chapter 7? Where Daniel says, I saw in the night visions one like a son of man who, who came on the, the clouds of heaven into the presence of, of God, the ancient of days. It says that he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all peoples should serve him. That his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So think about that, that prophecy from Daniel chapter 7, as I read again Acts 1 verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Did you notice four times the text, the, the text emphasizes that he is going into heaven? It explicitly tells us that he is taken there on a cloud. And the one who is the subject of this event also happens to be the Son of Man. Make no mistake, Acts chapter 1 is the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man is given a kingdom. And maybe that's why in Acts 1 verse 3, it says that Jesus spent those 40 days between his, his resurrection and ascension doing what? It says, speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Where you see that emphasis on the kingdom in verse 6, and the question the disciples ask. There's a kingdom emphasis in this opening chapter in the book of Acts. There is a, a kingdom background of the Old Testament prophecy that's being fulfilled. The, the point of Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, is that Jesus is given that kingdom of Daniel chapter 7. He's given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And so as we ask again, what is Christ doing now in heaven? He's not only interceding and praying for his people as our advocates, but he's also ruling and reigning over us and over the world. Question 50, he is the one through whom the Father governs all things. Question 51, by his power, he defends and preserves us from all enemies. This is what our ascended king is doing. He is exercising that dominion of Daniel chapter 7 by ruling over the church, by governing the world, and by conquering his enemies. Now, the Westminster Larger Catechism gives us a nice summary of this. Question 45 asks, how does Christ execute his office of king and it says that he does this by calling out of the world the people to himself and giving them officers, laws, and censures, this, um, church officers, church discipline, and church order, by which he visibly governs them. He bestows saving grace upon his elect, rewarding their obedience and correcting them for their sins. He preserves and supports them under all their temptations and sufferings, restrains and overcomes all their enemies, and powerfully orders all things for his glory and their good. And also takes vengeance on the rest who know not God and obey not the gospel. That's what Christ, our ascended king, is doing and will do. 
The ascension was his coronation as king of the universe. As king, he gathers, protects, and preserves his church. He rules over her by his word and spirit and guards and defends her against all his enemies and theirs until one day all his enemies will be placed under his feet. Do you have an appreciation for the work of our ascended king? Do you show that appreciation by valuing and praying for the officers of the church and and the world by whom he rules? Do you show your appreciation of Christ's, Christ's ascended work as king by submitting to the government and discipline of the church? Do you show your appreciation of, of Christ's work as king, even by praying to him for justice, interceding for those members of his kingdom who are harassed and helpless, praying to the one who will bring vengeance? The ascension helps us appreciate Christ's continued work, not only as priest, but also as our king. And then lastly, in both the ending of Luke and the beginning of the book of Acts, we also see little hints of Christ's ascended ministry as our prophet. Notice if you go back over to the end of Luke, that beginning at verse 44, Christ exposits for his disciples how everything written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms was concerning him. He speaks in verse 46 how Christ must suffer and then rise from the dead. And it says in verse 47 that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. He says, you are witnesses of these things. They're, they're going to be the witnesses who proclaim this Christ from all the scriptures. But notice verse 49. He says it is the promised Holy Spirit given by the ascended Christ who will empower them to do this who will empower them to witness to what Christ has accomplished from all the scriptures. And we see the same kind of thing in in the beginning of the book of Acts. In um, 1 verse 8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But he says that that will only happen when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. The Spirit of Christ whom he will send from heaven. And so it's Christ by his Spirit who is witnessing through his people to what he's done and to how all the scriptures point to him. This is why Acts 1 verse 1 says the gospel of Luke was only what Christ began to do and teach. The book of Acts and the history of the church is what he continues to teach. From heaven, by his spirit, through those who are set apart by the church to teach and preach. This is how Christ exercises his prophetic office from heaven. Question 51, through his spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon his members. And one of the passages that our our catechism footnotes there is Ephesians chapter 4, where the specific gifts that are are mentioned, at least in that passage, are all word-centered gifts. It says, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men, namely apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the purpose of perfecting the saints, of doing the work of the ministry, and of building up the body. All word-centered gifts from our ascended prophet who pours out gifts upon his church. So that by his spirit, he might continue to speak through those men to his people. 
Of course, Christ also pours out his spirit on, on all of us so that we share in his prophetic office, being anointed to confess his name. But there is a special way in which Christ, our ascended prophet, speaks to his people through the preaching of the word. Such that uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, and uh, Romans 10, verse 14, are able to speak of, of the, the preaching act as the ascended Christ speaking to his people. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off. Of course, Christ never came to Ephesus. But Paul is, is making the point that he, he actually does come to Ephesus every time the word of God is faithfully preached. Romans chapter 10, that famous passage where it says, How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? In the Greek... In that, that phrase, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? In the Greek, that word of is actually not there. Literally, Paul says, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? According to Paul, the way that people will hear the voice of Christ is through his ambassadors being sent to preach. Through faithful preachers. Christ continues his prophetic teaching ministry every time one of his ambassadors gets up to faithfully exposit his words. Which means that when we decide we don't want to go to worship, when we decide we don't want to go to the afternoon service, or when we decide we, we don't really want to listen to what the preacher is saying, what we're ultimately doing is despising the prophetic ministry of the ascended Christ. Or when we stand over the word instead of under it. Coming not, as, as one of my elders said, with our, our fork and spoon to feast on the gospel, but only with our knife to dissect it. We are despising the prophetic ministry of Christ. Now, the Westminster uh, Larger Catechism in question 160. It says, when we come to hear the word preached, we are to receive it with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. That's the posture toward the pulpit that reflects an appreciation for Christ's ascension. Christ is not honored and glorified by critical spirit. Christ is not honored and glorified when, when fathers who are tasked with washing their wives and children with the water of the word undermine the work of that word by, by disparaging the preaching. Yes, ministers will give an account before God for what they preach. But so will every person give an account for how they listen. Husbands and fathers, for, for the way that they, they encourage their families to respond to that word. Or to prepare for that word. The way that we do this says something about our response and appreciation of our prophet, priest, and king. Do you value, value the, the preaching of the words? Do you pray for those who bring it? You attend to it with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind. Christ is our ascended prophet, priest, and king who pours out his spirit and gives gifts to his church. Who guards and defends her, ruling, as, as his word, ruling us by his word and spirit and continually interceding for us before his father. Praying even that that prophetic word which goes forth from his throne would be blessed. 
And so as we think about all of the, the different applications of this doctrine of the ascension, we are to value the preaching of the word. We're to value the written word. We're to be thankful for the office bearers by whom Christ rules his church, submitting to her government and discipline. We're to be thankful for Christ's priestly work, being assured by his uplifted hands that he ministers for our good and speaks to us peace. That he intercedes at the Father's right hand, assuring us when we have erred that our sins are pardoned. He's praying for us. The ascension is vital for understanding how we are to live the Christian life, always mindful of our ascended prophet, priest, and king, and keeping our eyes fixed on him. Not on earthly things, question 49, but things above, where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand, and where we one day will be, as he has taken our flesh into heaven, assuring us that we will one day be there also. Let's rejoice in the gospel of our ascended prophet, priest, and king. See it not as a mere afterthought, but rather as the culmination of Christ's redemptive work. And give thanks. Like the disciples in Luke 24, worshiping with great joy. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you that the priestly work of Christ who died on the cross was continued in him rising up and ascending to bless us with uplifted hands to go into your presence where he intercedes for us that assures us of your grace and mercy towards us we thank you for his continued work as king and governing all things and especially his church whom he preserves and defends from all enemies whether enemies from within or without. We pray that you would help us to value his kingly rule by appreciating the order that he gives to his church, the officers whom he places over her, and even the discipline that he sometimes lovingly gives. We pray also that you would help us to appreciate Christ's ascended work as our prophet who speaks to us your word and how all of it points to him that we would show that appreciation by diligently attending to the means of grace with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind, that we might be more and more equipped to live in light of Christ's ascension, seeking not earthly things, but things above. All this we pray in the name of our ascended prophet, priest, and king.